Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. The president of the Ivy League School stepped down Saturday in response to a firestorm of criticism over her response at a congressional hearing on the rise in anti-Semitism on U.S. campuses. Where is the line drawn between expressing anti-Semitism and the right to free speech in the U.S.? And what will be the long-term impacts of U.S. public division over the Gaza conflict? And in the U.N., the U.S. has vetoed another resolution demanding an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. What does this mean for the ongoing conflict? To discuss these issues and more, I'm glad to be joined today by Rick Dunham, visiting scholar at Tsinghua University in Beijing, Peter Kuznick, professor of history at American University, and Professor Glenn Deason at the University of Southeastern Norway. That's our topic. I'm Xu Qingduo. Welcome to Dialogue. So, Rick, I will start with you. I want your initial response, you know, to uh, what happened to the whole incident. Of course, there's a controversial reply to the simple, seems to be a simple question, you know, is the call for genocide of any ethnic group, any people against the code of conduct on the U.S. Uh, college campuses? And of course, the latest is the president of the University of Pennsylvania has decided to step down, and you are a graduate of this university. What do you make of it? Well, it seems like such a simple question, but this, this really is a complex set of questions that we're wading into that deal with fundamental issues of academic freedom and, uh, and about public discourse. Let me start as a, as a Penn graduate, and I am a proud Penn graduate. I mean, I was embarrassed for the university. Her performance before the National Committee was halting, was, I would call it, over-lawyered, meaning she was answering questions the way lawyers would tell her. She was not communicating very well with the public. It was a hostile forum, and the, the Republican who was in charge of the hearing definitely was trying to trap the members, the, the, the three presidents. Unfortunately, I believe they all fell into the trap. It's easy to answer the question, are you against mass murder? Are you against, against genocide? The answer is yes, I'm against genocide, but your question is flawed. Anyway, we can go into, into that more, but my, my biggest concern is the political pressure that can be put on American universities where there should be a sense of academic freedom and freedom of discourse, I think is going to be chilling. And the, the fact that a Penn donor threatened to withhold a $100 million contribution if the president did not resign or was not ousted, I think is dangerous to have wealthy people basically telling the universities what can and can't be said is very dangerous. So I think this is a discussion that's important for all of us to have. What are the limits of free speech and, and what should be the outside pressures from politicians or from wealthy donors. So Peter, you are teaching in an American university, the American university there. The, the thing is like, uh, do you see that uh, the, the answers, you know, if you look back, of course, you know, I mean, the president of the university, they tend to give uh, uh, accurate answers, accurate replies to a seemingly simple question. Uh, but of course, that caused uh, a lot of a problem here. So what's your response when you see, you know, it becoming such controversial issue inside of the US? Well, as Rick has said, the presidents were lawyered up 
and they were advised to walk a fine line between free speech and criticism of what was going on. Uh, their response was inept. It was unfortunate. They should have just condemned calls for genocide. However, I don't think there have been any calls for genocide, and there wasn't any evidence produced at the hearing that there were calls for genocide. What Stefanik did was she talked about intifada. Intifada means uprising. Technically, literally, it means shaking off. That is not the same thing as genocide. American campuses are very polarized right now on a lot of issues. And we know that from the polling that 70% of those between the ages of 18 and 34 are opposed to the Biden administration's policy of uncritical blanket support for Israel. So on the campuses, the mood is very sympathetic to the Palestinian victims. That's the real issue on the campuses, that more than 17,000 Palestinian civilians have been killed and that 60% of the housing is destroyed. People are starving. And, this is, and that's created, fortunately, a sense of, of identification with the Palestinian victims on the campuses. That's understandable. And in fact, that's praiseworthy. But what the Republicans like Stefanik, and Stefanik has a long history of supporting Donald Trump. Donald Trump, who meets with Kanye West and, you know, and uh, what's his name, Nick Fuentes, Holocaust deniers, uh, and doesn't criticize that at all, is using this politically, partly as part of this Republican campaign against the universities. And why don't the Republicans like the universities? Because the last institution that remains in the United States life that is strongly progressive. And so the issue is not just what these university presidents said, which was unfortunate and was bumbling and inept, but the broader Republican campaign against the universities, an institution that is strongly anti-Republican in the United States. Well, we'll come back to uh, some of the points mentioned by our uh, speakers, obviously very, uh, you know, it's worth a detailed discussion. But before that, uh, uh, Glenn, I want you, your insight, your observation about what's happening in the United States, you know, sitting from Europe. Well, well we have some of the same challenges here, uh, of course, but uh, it seems to be stronger in the United States uh, simply because uh, this uh, connection between the U.S. and Israel is much stronger than it is here in uh, with between Europe and Israel. Of course, different European countries. Uh, the Germans are perhaps the most uh, supportive now of Israel, and uh, well, you can call this historical guilt or you know empathy for their difficult position. Uh, but uh, but but we have similar problems because uh, we we also have a. Uh, issue now with freedom of speech uh, at universities as well. Of course, freedom of speech doesn't uh, include incitement to violence. So, so calling for genocide has never fallen under uh, what is considered to be free speech. Uh, but we see that the context here as well seems to be manipulated because, uh, as we see, Israel is also an occupying power. That is, that it's uh, occupying Palestinian lands. So, if you argue that Israelis must leave Palestinian lands, that can be contextualized, of course, on one side as decolonization, but we see on the other side they're presenting this as a demand for ethnic cleansing of Israelis. 
So if you criticize the Israelis' ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, uh, this can be construed as being a call for ethnic cleansing of Israelis. Uh, so it's a rhetorical trap. And I think that I think this is what's really coloring a lot of this current discussions we're having, which is uh, the, the, the effort of managing public perceptions, because we don't even consider this or refer to it as a conflict between Israelis and Palestinians. Rather, we talk about the Jews and Hamas, because, you know, it's very reasonable to criticize Israel or Zionism. But uh, here in Europe, if you frame it as being critical of Jews, an ethnic or religious minority, then this is not acceptable. But of course, it becomes a bit of a silly way of arguing. Imagine if all criticism of Iran was condemned as a hatred of Muslims. Uh, it's, it doesn't really make sense. So it's, it's a way of managing discussion to only accept one one, one perspective. So uh, it's, it's a great shame whenever academic freedom and freedom of speech is uh, undermined in this manner. And um, again, I, I think that the, the problem, of course, is also by linking all Palestinians to Hamas, because uh, this is uh, also, you know, yeah. e- either you support Jews or Hamas. This is uh, a strange dichotomy uh, as you either, you know, the victimized people, which Europeans victimized, or you're for either support them or you support terrorism. It's a very weird way of uh, presenting this, uh, this, this conflict. Well, uh, like Rick, you, uh, both you and Peter mentioned about you know, political influence or political campaign, I guess, against the universities in the United States. But also, you know, it's, it's mingled with freedom of speech, of course. I, I remember the, the Republicans, they were not happy with the cancel culture, for example. They defended their practice, you know, there's a lack of freedom. But now they are basically saying that, you know, uh, expressing something unpleasant or to the extreme of genocide, of course, as, as Peter mentioned, there was no such a call. Uh, but that's the extremist uh, point of view there. Uh, but still, I mean, uh, how, how big an issue is that uh, for the political influence on universities here? Yeah, I, mean, I think you pointed to two very important issues. One is that there is enough hypocrisy to go around in this political debate. I mean, for years uh, on campuses, there have been people uh, on the left saying, uh, we don't want to have right-wing speakers. We don't want to have pro-Trump speakers. We don't want to have Vice President Pence when he was uh, still close to Donald Trump come to campus because we object to their points of view. And now we're seeing the reverse from the right where they want to say that you can't have this discussion. You cannot criticize Israeli actions uh, in Gaza without being anti-Semitic. You cannot support, you cannot hold a Palestinian flag without being an extremist. As we heard before, the, the uh, Donald has had a meal with very, very prominent Holocaust deniers and, and anti-Jewish uh, entertainers. Uh, so there's, plen- there's, there's plenty of, of, of hypocrisy to go around. But in terms of the college campuses, I, th- I think we have to realize that this should be a place where you can demonstrate, where you can object to things. You can you can object to President Biden's position on uh, on, on arming Israel without conditions. You can object to uh, the Israeli strategy. You can object to Benjamin Netanyahu. It's it's a difficult line. There is no line where you can't cross. You c- you, you 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 could not put a Nazi flag you know, from your from your fraternity house that would that would have crossed the line but you could have a a demonstration where you are for a point of view that's objectionable my point here is that unpopular opinion needs to be protected on college campuses 
that, that uh, people should have a right to say things that would be objectionable to many. But there is a line that we don't really know. It's a, it's, 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 it's a vague line where you can't cross. And I think that the sentence that's, that, 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 that really is, is where the line is, is from the river to the sea, because that's seen by Palestinians as freedom. It's seen by Jews as they want to wipe us out. Israel has no place on the map. And I think that's where the politicians are coming in and freedom is giving way to political might here. Uh, Rick, talk more about this, uh, this, this you know, phrase from river to the sea. And for people who are outside the U.S., probably they're not familiar yes. with this. Yeah. Okay, so that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very good point. So river to the sea means the Jordan River to, to, to the Mediterranean Sea that Pal Palestinians believe that the, the land of Palestine, which was a British protectorate uh, before, the, be, before the British pulled out, Israel was formed, Palestinian nation was there for formation, never happened. Uh, Palestinian land in what became Israel was taken. 1948 was a year of trauma for Palestinians, a year of triumph for Jews, many of whom had survived the Holocaust in uh, in uh, Europe in the years right before. But, but it's a, it's, it is a, the motto of the Palestinians that we have a right to land from the river to the sea. But so many Israelis and many Jews around the world believe that that is uh, code for ethnic cleansing of Jews. Well, uh, Peter, so, I mean, sometimes it's due to different understanding, different perception here. And um, in this way, like, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, I agree with this. where is the line of uh, the freedom of speech or where we should set a limit, probably. You know, some of the phrases are not uh, acceptable or should not be repeated uh, in the campus. There has been a tendency to protect students from not having to hear anything that is objectionable or disturbing. Uh, and this has been increasing in recent years. We've seen it in terms of gender, we've seen it in terms of race, and now we're seeing it in terms of religion also. It reflects a healthy tendency to not hurt people. However, it's a way to also cut off discussion. As one person commented recently, the campus should be a place where people are physically safe, but intellectually unsafe. <laughs> that, that people should be taught to deal with ideas that are challenging, that are disturbing. Uh, but what we've seen on campus in recent years is a tendency to protect people from not even having to hear ideas that are challenging or threatening. Uh, and that's a, a, an unfortunate tendency. So I, I think freedom of speech is such an important value that is being undermined in the United States now. Uh, and and the, what we're seeing in this instance is you're seeing the media, you're seeing politicians, you're seeing hedge fund billionaires. These hedge fund billionaires who give money to these universities think that they should be able to control who the presidents are, what is being said on campus, you know, create a climate. Some of us, you know, have studied McCarthyism back in the 1950s. And that created a climate on the campuses where professors were purged, where there was almost no open discussion of alternative ideas. 
for the United States to be a great country, we need as much debate, as much discussion. There is very little open discussion in American media. If you challenge American empire, American foreign policy, you rarely get invited onto American mass media. But the campuses are still a place where there is openness to alternative points of view and ideas. And that needs to be preserved against the lynch mob led by these hedge fund billionaires, by these Republicans in Congress now, and by many people in the American media. And so this is a very important issue because it does deal with fundamental rights and freedom of speech and, and thinking in the United States. So, Peter, are you saying that, you know, there is a concern of, uh, say, ac academic of, uh, freedom or, you know, pre uh, the uh, freedom of speech somehow could become, uh, you know, uh, landed in the, could land in the pocket of the rich people because of the pressure uh, or, or even the threat in some case probably uh, by the rich donors? Well, what happened at the University of Pennsylvania is these very wealthy donors who uh, have been contributing up to $100 million in, in one case are threatening to pull their money out and have begun to take steps to pull their money out. That's where the, where the real pressure President McGill at University of Pennsylvania came from. Mm -hmm. And then it got picked up by the Board of Trustees who in the, for the most, most cases are there because they are also donors to the university. There's often a tension between the faculty at the universities and the trustees. We want more faculty representation, more faculty voice. Who's got the real interest in the future of the university? There's a battle going on at many universities. At Harvard, uh, we haven't seen quite as much. At Harvard, 650 professors signed a, a statement calling for the president to remain in office. At MIT, uh, the trustees even came out with strong support for the president there. Penn was a different situation, and there the very wealthy uh, donors to the university weighed in against the president. And this had been going on for months, because back in the summer, she had supported a Palestinian literary conference on campus, and many of them wanted to have that blocked initially. So she's been under the gun and criti criticized for months now. Mm -hmm. This was the final straw for these donors. Uh, they, it's, it's, tra it's tragic what happened there, and, and th they should never have that kind of power over an academic institution, which is a search for, for knowledge, for truth, for understanding, for multiple points of view, and that was not happening at Penn, sadly, because it's a great university that mm -hmm. should have better standards and, and represent something better in American life. Uh, well, Glenn, I wonder what's your response or what's your understanding of this, uh, you know, Peter mentioned about the media freedom, the press freedom. Uh, probably somehow in practice there's, there's a sense of limit or there's a limit, I mean, to, to what uh, you are allowed, uh, so allowed to say or you, you, whether your views are accepted to be uh, in the, on the platform of the uh, public media. 
Well, I very much agree with Peter. I think that the universities, the purpose of universities is to search for knowledge. And in order to do so, the ideas have to be able to be challenged and contested. And this is why it's quite difficult when when you only permit one set of ideas by effectively manipulating it, by presenting it as any opposition as being effectively hatred. And I think this is where uh, censorship uh, began to grow. This was under so-called hate speech. Now you can argue this has good intentions. You wanted it was political left first to advance these ideas that you know we have to limit hate speech because we have to protect uh, vulnerable uh, minority groups. However, that being said, uh, you also then make it instrumental for creating uh, for uh, pre- interpreting things. As, as being uh, hate. And I think that's also what Rick referred to. He's, he mentioned the word code, that, you know, well, what does that actually mean? Are, we spe- are they speaking in codes when they say from the river to the sea? Uh, but this is why you need free speech. Uh, you need to uh, have this open discourse. What do you mean by river to the sea? If, if, if this discourse can be had and it's interpreted as a, uh, as a way of, of freedom, uh, you know, g- g- getting independence, and, uh, not not living under apartheid, then it should be fine. If it means, oh, it means we want to wipe out Jews, then obviously that's a very different thing and uh, uh, it should be condemned and un- unacceptable. But this is why you need free speech, so people don't speak in codes. And uh, again, this is why also it's problematic when we talk about uh, if it's interpreted as inciting violence, because it feels like the the supporters of what Israel is doing now are attempting to deliberately interpret any criticism of Israel and Zionism as being a hatred of Jews. And you know, I, I don't want to under I don't want to belittle anti-Semitism because obviously this is a historical problem, especially here in Europe. It's disgusting. It should not be accept, accept, uh, accepted because. Uh, criticizing Israel should also not be conflated with hating Jewish people. But it also has to be pointed out that uh, Israel itself has worked very hard to make this connection by linking Israel to being Jewish, in which uh, all legitimate criticism can then of Israel can then be condemned as hate speech. And we often see that the media, they jump on board with this uh, simply because it's, uh, it's a lot more favorable than uh, putting your neck out and uh, and challenging this way mm-hmm. of uh, censoring uh, academics. So, but, but, but again, it's it big, yeah. Yeah, uh, Glenn, you know, do you think there's a, of course, you know, related to this uh, this controversy, I would say, uh, there's something to do with uh, the U.S. policy uh, of, you know, many people to describe it, pro-Israel uh, policy, obviously. For example, uh, recently the U.S. again, becoming the only nation, you know, uh, vetoed the resolution uh, calling for an immediate uh, humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. So, you know, despite this, uh, you know, there is a poll, like 68% of Americans saying Israel should call for a ceasefire and try to negotiate. You know, the U.S. government is acting upon or against the, uh, the will of the American public here. Well, of course, there, there would never have been this need for censorship if if the American government would have listened to its people. But again, this is a way of managing public perceptions because, yes, uh, the United States provide a political cover for Israel with this veto against a ceasefire, obviously uh, being a way of condoning what it's doing. But again, the United States attempts to find a, a cautious position because they're not going to get in the way and restrict Israel. So, but again, they have to address this mass killings of civilians. So usually they find a way. You know, you either blame Hamas 
or you claim to put is, uh, pressure on Israel saying that they have to protect civilians. However, we see time and time again, this never moves beyond the rhetoric. That is, the United States might criticize what Israel has done, but they will still continue to supply the heavy weapons that are used against uh, mm -hmm. civilian targets. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, um, I, I think it's very closely tied to, to, to US policies because this is what the pub managing public perception would be, or propaganda, if you will, which is you, you create a favorable lens to interpret all, all positions. So either you, know, either you hate uh, Jews and support terrorists, or, or, or you take the good side. And uh, this is yeah. usually how yeah, uh, yeah. it's managed. Yeah, dichotomy here. So, Rick, uh, you know, of course, the uh, the president of the Pan University had decided to step down. Um, you know, there are pressures on the other two presidents of uh, MIT and Harvard to do the same. Uh, so, what's likely to happen next? Well, it's always hard to predict the future uh, when you're in this hot political situation. My guess is the MIT president is going to be fine. Uh, there seems to be much stronger support uh, at the level of trustees as well as faculty. Harvard, uh, there is strong faculty support for the president, despite her halting performance at that uh, hearing. But the right-wing media is just started. I mean, it, it, to use the metaphor of, of uh, smelling blood in the water, I think that the president of Harvard would be a much bigger trophy uh, for conservatives in America than the president of the University of Pennsylvania. And so while I think it is less likely that she will be forced out than she will remain, I wouldn't, uh, I would not at all uh, understate the amount of pressure that's going to be put on from right wing media and, and Republican politicians in coming weeks. Mm. So, Peter, the, the, I mean, uh, at least the politics will continue, if not uh, the debate uh, for freedom of speech. In the context that we see, if you in the United States, you turn on the television, you can't get help getting deluged with images of Palestinian victims and Palestinian suffering. I mean, it's heartbreaking to see what's going on in Palestine. No food, no water, no electricity, no health care, constant bombing. I mean, the, 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 the Gaza is in ruins. And so you've got two different narratives. On the one hand, you've got the U.S. support for the killing that's going on there. On the other hand, you've got some concern about anti-Semitism on campus, which is really minor compared to, I mean, I hate anti-Semitism. There is no place for anti-Semitism in American life or anywhere. And we know the ugly history of this. But we also know that there is real mass killing going on on a daily and an hourly basis right now in Gaza that's being done by the Netanyahu government. And Netanyahu is not popular among American Jews. Netanyahu is widely criticized by American Jews. And they, American Jews are, are not generally supportive of what Israel is doing now. Mm -hmm. And so the question of anti-Semitism is a real one but it's not the way it's being portrayed by the Stephonics of the world. So, I mean, what these presidents should have done is really go after her for her support for uh, mm -hmm. Trump lies about the 2020 election. For all, so many yeah, of her policies. politics there. Professor, we have to stop there. Well, with that, right. we come to the end of today's show. Many thanks to our guests. I'm Xu Qingdu. See you next time.